Hope you're checking out Plain English with Derek Thompson. It is a podcast we launched last week. It's already one of the smartest podcasts on the internets. That's what the critics are saying. Fine. That's what I'm saying. But listen to me. You're listening to this podcast. You can listen to me on this Plain English with Derek Thompson. Great podcast. It's going to make you smarter. Check it out. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game, and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right, a first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I'm dropping a little rewatchables treat for you on Thanksgiving. It's my gift to you. I didn't get you a pie. I didn't get you a cake. I didn't make you like sweet potatoes with brown sugar on top. No, I'm giving you a podcast. It's a rewatchables podcast. It is the 35th anniversary of one of the best sports movies of all time. Some people have it, number one. I had it number one for a while. I'm not sure what my rankings are these days, but it's in the mix. Hoosiers. Yeah, that's coming for you on Thursday. Me and Ryan Rossillo breaking down Hoosiers, my Thanksgiving gift to you. Also, speaking of gifts, another gift for you on Thursday, the third film from the Music Box series on HBO, which I am one of the executive producers. It is a Ringer Films production. We did a film about DMX. It is called DMX, Don't Try to Understand. It's directed by Christopher Frierson. It's fantastic. You can watch it on HBO at 8 p.m. or you could just wait and watch it on HBO Max at your leisure whenever you want. Don't forget to watch our other two films that are up there too, Jagged and Woodstock 99. So there you go on that. DMX, don't try to understand. Um, this is an emotional one. I'm just warning you now. Um, it's really, really, really good. So there you go. Uh, one last thing. We're also brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, where you might remember our million dollar picks with Peter Schrager, which we put up on Tuesday. One of our bets was DeAndre Swift would have the most rushing yards on Thursday. It was plus 450. FanDuel said, hey, little Thanksgiving present for you. We're going to boost that. You can now get that at plus 550. Obviously, you have to bet it right before the, uh, the Lions-Bears game on Thursday morning, Pacific time, Thursday early afternoon, East Coast time. But if you want to jump on that, DeAndre Swift plus 550. Look, I'm making no bones about it. If he hits it, we're getting the plus 550 on million-dollar picks. Why not? We can make our own rules for million-dollar picks. We now have that at plus 550. FanDuel, check it out. Coming up, Bob Valgaris, our old friend from Podcast Pass. He's been working for the Dallas Mavericks for the last couple of years. If you don't know his history, it's amazing. He was a professional gambler 
who eventually in the 2000s became really the best basketball gambler on the planet and parlayed that into all kinds of stuff, including podcast appearances on my old podcast. And then the, uh, when we came to the ringer, created the ringer, uh, he came on the BS pod a few times then started working on Dallas and for Dallas behind the scenes. Now he's out, he's out of basketball, but still watching basketball and, uh, enjoying it. And we're going to talk to him in one second. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 10 o'clock Pacific time on a Wednesday. Bob Balgaris is here. He hasn't been on for a while. He, he, going back to the Grantland days, you started popping on there. You were known as the professional gambler, data guy, um, hot take Twitter artist, but the takes weren't even that hot sometimes. Sometimes they were like perfectly cooked. And, <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden you started working for the Mavericks. I don't think you've been on for like four years, Bob. Is that possible? Yeah, I think the summer before I officially started working for the Mavericks, I think we did a free agency pod and that was the last one. Yeah. All right. So you went last night, Mavericks Clippers. I don't want to rehash all the what have we. Maybe we can get into that later in the pod. You went on uh, Pablo Torre's pod. You kind of talk, broke down all the basics of what it was like to work for a professional team. I want to get that near the end. I want to talk about top goal basketball stuff first. You went to Mavs Clippers last night. You were in a situation trying to build a team around Luca with some limitations and a big Porzingis contract kind of hogging up a lot of the cap and trying to work on the fringes, um, guys who can shoot corner threes, two-way guys who you can find on kind of cheaper value type of things. How do you build around Luca? What, what do you think you guys did wrong the last two years? What do you think they should do? If you were still advising them, what would be the number one move you would make? Um, I think. I think it's I think in some cases people think it's super easy to build around him because he's a you know he's such a transcendent talent and I think that's definitely true. But there are some challenges because you need to have guys who can defend at a very very high level. Um because he's not he's not he's not an awful defender but he's definitely gets hunted on defense a little bit. And so um you need guys who can defend. You also need guys in my opinion who are happy playing a role of defending and doing the gritty work. Like if you look at like the, the Harden Rockets, right? You had a bunch of guys who were happy being spoon fed by Harden. Harden had the ball for almost the entire game on offense. And then guys are put in positions to succeed. I mean, there's lots of different ways to do it. I don't necessarily know that my theory on the way is necessarily the best way. Like a, a, like a term is heliocentrism where you want him to have the ball. You want everyone to kind of operate around his orbit. That seems to be the way that maximizes the overall skill in a laboratory of the team. Now, are guys happy to do that? In my experience, not every player is happy with that, which makes sense. Guys want to get their own stats. They want to get paid. They want to feel involved. They might not try as hard on defense if they're not getting as many touches on offense. Um, so it's challenging. I think you just have to find players who can be switchable on D, uh, players who can play the passing lanes, who are good at helping and recovering mobile defenders. And you certainly need guys who are able to hit and make uh, three-point shots and space the floor. It's interesting. LeBron was in a little bit of the same situation over the course of his career. And you would see a lot of guys play with him 
who didn't necessarily succeed with them like they did with their previous team, or even in some cases, like you're seeing with the Wizards right now, the next team. I was watching, I watched the Dallas Clips game last night. I should have gone. I decided not to go. I have some regrets. But um, you watch the end. They're basically just double teaming Luca near the end. And they're ha- perfectly fine going four on. The Clips are perfectly fine having a four on three situation as long as Luca gives up the ball. Yeah, and I that, don't think that was necessarily... I mean, both teams did that, and I don't think it was necessarily sharp defense. I mean, it it's not that hard. I mean, first of all, Luca, when he's doubled, is fantastic at find, at making the right pass. Early in the game, sometimes he'll throw like a... You know, a, you know try, he'll try to do like a fancier cross-court pass like a ticked off. That happened a few times earlier in the game. But when it comes down to winning time and he's dialed in and he's not looking for highlights or he's not feeling the game out, it's a very simple pass to the four, whoever's setting the screen, who has a very simple pass to the corner, and it's just a yeah. wide open three. I mean, the, the, I think I'm, I didn't look at the data, but I'm fairly certain that was the highest number of corner threes the Mavs had attempted in the game this year. Um, it, it seemed like a, it was open the whole game. Yeah. I mean, anytime you put two on the ball like that, and you just need to have someone capable in the short roll who can get the ball and make the pass, make the easy pass. I think they went through a different. They went through a different variation of guys. I know, I know Dodo, Dorian Finney-Smith was the screen setter and the guy making the pass once or twice. Maxi did it a couple times. They tried it with like Willie Cauley-Stein early in the game and that wasn't working. You have to have a guy who's able to make that short roll pass. Like Draymond's obviously the best in the world at that or one of the best in the world yeah. at that at making the short roll pass. So, Yeah, the thing, and this is why when they traded Seth Curry which, you know, you're banking on Richardson being the Miami guy and not the Philly guy as you're making a trade like that. And I know you you were involved in that trade. Um, or at least I was in the, imp- in the I mean, input I, I of whether it was my, a good idea. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my trade. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't suggest it. It was, it, the deal was already agreed upon when it was told, but I, I like Josh Richardson a lot. I think they knew that. Um, we had decided or they had decided, people had decided to make Seth available. I mean, the thing about, you get that. I get that a lot on social media. Be like, oh my God, if only we had Seth Curry. And look, I love Seth Curry. I was the main reason we, the team signed him to begin with. Um, but it's just challenging because if you have KP on D and you have Luca on D and now you have Tim Hardaway Jr. on D and you have Seth Curry on D, those are four guys who are not necessarily positive one-on-one defenders. I mean, right. anyone who watched game seven of the 76ers Hawks series, I think people forgot this. But Kevin Herter went off in that game specifically because he was targeting Curry. I mean, that was, I mean, Seth's an amazing three-point shooter. He's like, probably has his basketball IQ. I think is, I don't think people really realize how good his basketball, that, that's what the Mavericks miss more is his basketball IQ on the court of putting people in the right spots. Um, and his ability and creation too. Like his ability, if All of last it. 10 I'll- seconds of a play, his ability to get his own shot. Yeah, uh, offensively, he's, he's, He's almost, I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say, but he's almost without peer because he stretches the floor so well. He's super hyper-efficient on offense. Um, but defensively, he's, it's it's challenging to have someone like that on the court in the playoff series unless you have, like, he's the perfect fit in Philadelphia because they had Simmons, they had Embiid. But even in that case, like, I, I challenge people to go back and watch Game 7. Not that you want to make one game sample of it, but that whole series, the Hawks made a plan to, to go after. Him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just very challenging. And so now you've got, now you've, you've got three guys like that. I mean, good right. luck with that. You're not, the, the goal is, is, is not to have a great regular season team. The goal is to increase your chances to win the playoffs. And sometimes you have to take big swings and take chances, 
that being said, looking back now, like once he was made available, you probably could have got more for him. And that, that, that seems to be pretty apparent. Yeah, well, the other thing, if you're just starting backwards, let's say Luca's the only guy in the team and you're almost picking it like a fantasy team and you could just add people. Seth Curry is actually a fun fit for him as for long sure. as now you're at, you have to add other pieces that would take care of the the defense yeah. issue having those two guys. But the fact that Porzingis is on that team too, now it gets yeah. complicated. Well, I mean, you, you need a defensive anchor for sure. And I think with Porzingis, it was never really about him being, I don't think historically he was a terrible defender. That's not true at all. It's just, he had some mobility issues due to the right. injuries that caused him to be a little bit, you know, a little bit of a target on defense. I mean, teams, the, the book on the Mavericks where you go, you go small versus this team offensively. I mean, the Celtics did it a bunch and it is very tough for this team to defend in space. And so if, if he improves his mobility, which it seems like he has and he plays better then then now maybe things are a little bit different. Um, but certainly last two years, it was a challenge. What do we make of him as an asset or a non-asset, whatever you want to call it, because he's making 31 million a year. You look at his stat, just look at his stats. Like this is seven straight years now where he's just 20 and eight every game. Now we've had guys like that. There were guys famously in the nineties and the two thousands where it was like, you know, Sharif Abdur Rahim. Oh man, 20 and eight must be good. And it's like, well, actually he might not be a winning player. Antoine Walker was like that a little bit for Boston. There are guys that can get the stats, but they're not necessarily winning players. On the other hand, his rim protection's good. He, you know, as a stretch five on paper, makes sense. And if he was making $15 million a year, I think teams would think he was an asset, right? There's, yeah, I mean, I'm not here to, I think he's a fine player. Um, I, I think like there's, if you look at players that are making max, I mean, there's max contracts and there's max, the, the way the salary cap is structured, it's unfair to compare them because you have LeBron James max contract, Chris Atperzingis max contract. Okay. Obviously those two players are not equivalent. Let's, you know, and, and it's just, it's tough because there is no gap in between max and the mid-level. Like he's never, he's never going to get a mid-level contract. He's always going to, he's always going to get, he's going to get a max of the Mavericks. Some other teams probably going to pay him the max. So it just becomes a, to me, it's less about that. It's more about um, how you like what the fit is and how you can build around the edges. Like, I think if he's the max guy on your team and he's the only max guy, then you have to build around him. I don't know that that's necessarily a great squad because, in my opinion, you need to have your max guys need to be ball handling, creating ones or guys who are like dominant, like Embiid or yeah. like that type of thing. So it's it's tricky for sure. So what is the right fit for him? Like if I, like there's probably 10 teams for KP. No, for KP, there's probably 10 teams that have kicked the tires on him in a real way. Right. Is this a, is this guy more of an asset if he's not an afterthought and an offense? What if, could we build something around him? What does that look like? Is that even possible? I think if you look at the number of what teams have built around a big, I mean, there just aren't any, this is like two in this day and age, best players are all ball handling guards. So It's less, it's less, it's just like my thing wasn't necessarily anything specific uh, or my, I don't think there's anything specific related towards him. It's just the position itself and the way the game is, is skewed towards offense. Right. There's very few teams. Like you can make the argument that Utah with Gobert is an example, but that's, and he's, and Gobert is a dominant player. Everyone will say, oh, he gets played off the floor in the playoff series. But what big doesn't get played off the floor in the playoff series? I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, yeah. Gobert, I don't even, I don't even think it's necessarily accurate that he got played off the floor in a playoff series last year. 
it's, um, I mean, Jokic is really the exception. And obviously there's no, Jokic is a point guard in a center's body. Yeah, he's, so, he's Larry Bird, basically. He's, it's yeah. not even fair to call him a center. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There, there just isn't, like, they're just, like, even, like, Carl Anthony Towns, amazing offensive player, big, can you build a winning team around him? I don't know, it remains to be seen. It's just really tricky. It's every, every dominant player in the game for the last however many years has been a ball handling wing or guard. I was going to bring up Towns with the KP thing because I think he's, you would think he's like the rich man's KP in a lot of ways, right? He's a better, better shooter, but same yeah, kind of principle of like a stretch five. Yeah. It's and tricky. I don't I mean, know what that is. I mean, the one thing, the one thing Towns has going for him is he is just a better low post player, even though most of his shots are coming from three. Um, but yeah, it's tricky for sure. I mean, it's very tricky. I mean, the, the, the whole point of being a center like if you're a stretch center, stretch five, it is, is can you punish teams that switch versus you? And historically, that hasn't been the case uh, with a lot of these guys. And so it's just a question of can you improve upon that? Is there skills you can do? Is there things? He's, Porzingis is at a bit of a disadvantage just because he is of his center of gravity where he, he doesn't have, like he's, it's, hard, it's hard for him to dribble down. Players are swiping the ball from him. Like the Celtics put smart on him all the time. Yeah. But I think we played the Pelicans, one of the first games, few years ago and they put drew holiday on him and we thought it was a mismatch you know in, in the late aspect of the game and it just it's just tough he's but that being said he's he's he works hard he wants to improve his game he wants to get better and i think it's it's the other thing about him is he's he does whatever you ask him to do like yeah. he's just he's not a diva in that regard he didn't complain at all during the playoffs even if maybe he wasn't unhappy if he was a little bit unhappy so I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of his personally. I just think it makes it challenging to cap yourself out for a player like that. Trade assets. You better make sure that you can fill out the rest of the roster um, around him. And we'll see if they. I mean, they've got a decent team this year. They're they're definitely in the mix in the West. So yeah, you figure after after you got Golden State and Phoenix, and then Utah, there's a drop off, and they have a chance to get that four spot just by sheer power of Luca and the fact that some other teams have had some bad injury luck, like the Denver thing, giving Porter that extension. I think he had played like 120 games total. He yeah. had slipped almost out of the lottery because his back was so scary to teams. And it was a pretty small sample size. They didn't have to go all in. They felt like they needed to. And now he's hurt and he's checking out back specialists. And if I was a Denver fan, I would be going nuts. Like his extension hasn't even kicked in yet. And again, I think he's at like 120 career games, 20 playoff games. Oh my Denver, God. Yeah, but you're a fickle guy. If I was a Denver fan, I would be happy that they built this team out of like nothing. I mean, they got Jokic in the second round. Right. Well, ordered, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Like you've got to be, you've got to be, they've done, it's, it's like, it's the nitpickiest of takes to be upset about this contract. I think, <laughs> I mean, I really do. Like I just, cause I don't, cause I just wouldn't like, have done it. What, they, I, I just, what, what is maybe, the point yeah, of these extensions a year before you have to actually win. do them? I don't know. They're trying to win. But I, why? I, 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 I want to give, give me one more full season. I want to see you play the, healthy. I, I don't, I don't know if your back the, is great. No, the, the job is fucking hard. And to nitpick to that extent, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm with you, I guess. I just, I have a hard time disparaging that. In, and then you look at every other thing they've done has been just like strokes of brilliance in terms of like finding Jokic, Murray, you know, building around the edges, like being competitive. Well, uh, they that's a team that really had a window to win the, t like kind of a sneaky window to actually grab a final spot last year. The Murray thing 
for submarine sure. them because you think like all the teams that could have snuck in there and Phoenix, who I think is better this year than they were last year, but Phoenix grabbed this opportunity. But then you think, all right, if Davis just doesn't get hurt in that Lakers Sun series, yeah, what two things, do they two, even two, get by the Lakers? Yeah, two things are true. Phoenix Suns are a very good team and they got extremely lucky last year. They might have got to the finals anyways, but the fact that like their path to the finals was made easier. And so, yeah, you're 100% right. Who knows what happens if, if Murray's healthy? Last year was a weird year. I mean, the last two years were weird years because of COVID. Um, I think people yeah. still, I mean, there was that. If you look at the, I mean, how many playoff games did the, the two two teams that made the finals the previous year win last year? They won zero, right? I mean, Miami got swept. Did Miami get swept? Yeah. Miami got swept and, and the Lakers won like one or two games or whatever like that versus Phoenix. Um, well, and, and then so, you yeah, think that, like even Dallas, who I think could have been a sleeper in the right situation in two years in a row, you're just drawing, you're drawing yeah, a poker not, hand with two threes. Yeah. Our, well, that was our not worst lineup, our, our matchup, the Clippers. And it's funny, we made a flow chart of like what we needed to happen in the last few games of the regular season in order to avoid the Clippers. And I think they did something very similar in order to match up with us. They wanted to play us. Yeah. So they, you know, I think I forget the guy who they posted up like 22 times uh, in the oh, last game. Was that guy? Daniel, somebody, Daniel Toro? Uh, was it Orton or something? Or, or yeah, or Toro, yeah, something or Toro. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah. won the Mark Matson Award for the game yeah, we, 82. We, I, had, I had both games on. I had both games on. I had our game and their game, and we needed to do whatever they did. So if they won, we needed to win. If they lost, I remember I was texting you. You were going nuts. You were like, "This might work out." <laughs> then ten minutes later, this is going to work guy, out. Yeah, and this guy was just getting far too many post ups. Yeah, we needed like the Lakers to win or the lose. I forget what it was, but yeah, we had a whole flow chart. I was trying to explain it to the powers that be and they're just like yeah i don't understand what this means i'm like just follow the chart like if then you know what if then means and they're like i i don't know what this is. it was it was it was pretty funny but yeah yeah because i i had over for luca in dallas this year i think it was like 48 and it was a combination of i didn't like their division but also easiest like, of the easiest division in the yeah. nba arguably but you think like division. from a luck standpoint bad luck the last two years so maybe just with the matching up with Kawhi and the clippers like just a nightmare for them and you think like, all right, if a couple breaks go, maybe there's a trade deadline move. But more importantly, if you really think this guy is special, which I think I do and I think you do too, there is a path with younger, super duper duper stars. Their third season in the league, fourth season, fifth season, somewhere in there where they just overachieve. And all of a sudden yeah. they're in the conference finals or the finals. And you're like, wow, oh my God, he, he dragged them here. And I yeah, do I think, think that's we, still in play. Yeah, I think we would have had a really tough time with Phoenix. Um, just because they're so surgical in their late game execution. Yep. Um, and they had a bunch of guys they could throw at Luke. I don't know if they all, they would have done a great job guarding him, but you know, they had bridges, they had Crowder, you know, Johnson could probably guard him in a pinch. Um, what about this year though? What about this year? I think I mean, the same thing. I, who, who do I like in the West? Or who, no, I think I'm saying like with, with, could they overachieve? I think this year's the tougher. Be, yeah, because Golden State's, I think, better, obviously. Phoenix Golden is, State. I think, better than last year. And then you have the Utah piece and then the wild card of Davis and LeBron and whoever they're playing with. Yeah, I don't even know. I think it's I think it's interesting to even have the Lakers. Like, if this wasn't LA and it wasn't LeBron, we'd be even talking about the Lakers. I mean, 
Like, what have we seen from this team through 19 games? That would hold this thought. That was our next segment because you and I both <laughs> hate watch the Lakers. I never got, you, know, you never gave me. You never. Yeah, you I never don't, don't like to give you the rundown. I didn't know what we're talking about. Sorry, you to jump the jump the gun there. Yeah, but I wish Luca. This is, again. I'm nitpicking. This is my second nitpick of the pod. All right. I just wish he was in awesome shape. I really. I think at this point in his career, I get it. He's young. He's feeling it out. I don't know what he's doing. You know, he's probably a young guy having a great time. But I think if you talk to some of the great players in the history of the league and you ask like, hey, what what would be your one big regret about like the first six years of your career? I think all of them, with very few exceptions, would be like, man, I wish I'd been in better shape. Like it's something Bird talks about. I think LeBron, you even think about like his, the difference in his body from 08 to 09. LeBron was always in. LeBron was always in top. Physical no, but when he shape. added the muscle, but he wasn't. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't have his body hadn't filled out. That's what happens when you play, come in the league at eighteen or nineteen. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, look. I'm glad you went there, and I. It to me, it's it's unrealized potential. I don't know. It's like, youth. It's, you don't want to go through life with any regrets, and I think. I mean. I mean, there's lots of arguments. People are like, okay, well, he needs to be thick because he needs to punish people. He needs to back people down. But there's a difference between that and there's a difference between your face is red because you are out of breath four minutes into the second half of the game and you're right. unable to make rotations. I mean, the load, you could make the argument that he has a, he has probably, I mean, he's not like Steph Curry in the sense where he's running around as much because, you know, Curry's just covering tons of territory. But the the the, mo- the mental focus that's required to have the ball the entire game on offense, and then to get hunted on D. I mean, people don't realize like the way the number of ways teams hunt him. It's not just one on one matchups attacking him as the as the defender, but it's also whoever he's guarding is crashing the glass because they want him to have to box out. There's just so many things that kind of factor into it, and yeah, he's not in. Sh- I mean, he's not in shape. That's just that like. That he's not I mean, now. He might not be in awful shape, but he's he's definitely not in top physical shape. But he'll get there. I mean, he's young. He's well. Here, here's the here's the thing. It's about maximizing whatever your potential is as a player. I think the the athlete moving outside of basketball, Brady is the guy out of anyone who's maximized his potential the most. Like he's done. He's actually made himself more agile. He's learned how to be faster, quicker. He's changed his throwing mechanics. Tiger Woods did the same thing. I think LeBron in the NBA is somebody that has maximized whatever his career potential was by being not only a physical freak, but somebody who really put in the time year after year. And I would love to see Luca do that at some point. I mean, LeBron's spending, like I've read the articles, listened to the podcast with his trainer. He's got like the machines in his house. He's spending oh, yeah. $2 million dollars on his body a year. Yeah. It is... Um, yeah, it is. The thing that I think that's interesting, and, and this is like you know, the last little bit I'll say about this stuff, is is part of it is to be that young and to be the face of the franchise and have the franchise basically given to you. I mean, trading away four-fifths of the starting lineup, building around this guy, billboards everywhere. You know, you're, the ringer guys are playing Hale Luca. <laughs> like as though he's like this kid who's descended from above to save the franchise. There is a little bit of that, and there's a lot of people being, I don't want to use the word terrified, but just like walking around worried, like who is holding him accountable for that? Right. right. It's not the teammates because it's the team is basically built around him. Um, and it's just kind of like, I don't know, very early on the first year I was there, I remember we were 
the catering that would come after practice and after games, they would have like this giant canister of sweet tea and lemon and sweet lemonade. And I remember just looking and seeing like, okay, this dude's filling up like his water bottle with like sweet tea. He's making like Arnold Palmer's. <laughs> right. And I was like, I didn't say anything to anyone, but I was just like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like, I don't, I mean, liquid, I don't know a lot about, I'm not yeah. like an expert. It's a good idea if you want diabetes. Yeah, but it's just like, it doesn't seem like, I mean, if it just didn't seem, but yeah, they eventually got it squared away on, and he's, and I'm sure he's got people looking after his diet, et cetera. But every year it seems like he comes in, he tries to play himself into shape. Yeah. I'm going to play myself into shape is never a great idea. But when you're putting up 30, 10 and 10 in like your second year, it's hard to like say, Hey, here's some ways you can improve. Yeah. Here, here's the other thing. What exactly, what issue do you have with him? Like that's, that's not you specifically, but like people that are like, okay, all the stuff we said is true. Not maybe not in the top physical condition, maybe. Yeah. But what are we seeing that is le- like? Wh- wh- how is that impacting? It's pretty. I mean, the playoff series. Uh, what could he have? I mean, he got hit in the neck, uh, or and the he got elbowed in the neck or the whatever the shoulder the above higher shoulder. Yeah. Um, I mean, he performed at a ridiculous level. Yep. There's really the year before, same deal. Um, so it's, it's, it's easy to say, oh, not in great shape, but it's hard to say, okay, what are you not doing good? And I think maybe that's where like an attention to detail on some defensive stuff, uh, is maybe you could find some defensive flaws offensively. It's pretty hard to say. I mean, there are other people say, oh, well, he settles for bad shots late in the games, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't know. I'm not necessarily all the way there on that. I just, yeah, I think it would be, I think it would be, it'll be amazing to see once this guy gets into top shape, what what the ceiling is for him because sky's basically the limit not to sound too cliche but it's true yeah you think like there's he can get in 15 percent better shape at some point in his career and his three-point shooting is going to get better and you think of just those two things only and he's going to be a monster all right we're going to take a break and uh and come back and talk about some trade possibilities This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. At simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. All right. I want to talk about the uh the rest of the league. 
your Chicago Bulls. Now that you don't work for the Mavs anymore, you have now adopted the Chicago Bulls. You love this team. You love defensive love guards. You love shooting. You've come around on DeRozan. You're come, in. I came around. I came around on DeRozan a while back, though. I I, I want to say that like I was not a DeRozan guy when he played for the Raptors, but once he went to the Spurs, he kind of learned a little bit. I wouldn't say learned. Thing about him is he he works on his craft of his game so much that that is to me is awe inspiring. Like his little hop step, long two side step two that he does. He sometimes mul- has multiple pump pump fakes to get guys in the air. He's always been a, a very good foul drawer uh, and and high free throw attempt guy. And you know when he played for the Spurs, they basically went to a five out scheme with him when when Aldridge was out and then a little bit Portal was at them in the dunker spot, but. Um, he was hi- hyper efficient when you surround him with three shooters or more. Now that's not necessarily the case in Chicago. They don't have a lot of shooting. They they don't take a lot of threes. They're doing things a little bit differently um, than the average team is, but they're having success because they are uh, absolutely destructive forces in the backcourt defensively with those two guys. I love it. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah, it was weird. I really like Patrick Williams. He gets hurt and it kind of unleashes this this five-man unit that they have that when you think Vooch isn't even really shooting well yet. For him, hasn't played he, for, he hasn't played in the last week or so. He didn't play the two games I went to in LA. And yeah, no, they're, 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 they're doing it with, I mean, it's really, it's really just Caruso, Lonzo Ball are the heads of the snake, both of them. And it's causing all kinds of, like you can get away with having no, they have no rim protection right now. Yeah. And you can get away. It seems as though you can get away with having no rim protection if you can't get past the perimeter line of defense, which is kind of what's happening. Plus, they're turning people over in the backcourt. Um, Caruso is... I mean, I've been on the Caruso bandwagon <laughs> you for love a while. Caruso. <laughs> I tried to get him. I tried to get him uh, uh, the year he was a free agent three years ago. Um, could not convince people that he was a, a, even an NBA basketball player. One of the guys in our front office was like... I mean, I think him, if he didn't look like the like Jim Carrey from the cable guy when, when he plays that pickup basketball game, I think he would be taking, right. be taking a lot more seriously. But, you know, he wears the headband. He's got the shorts pulled out. He's got the tights below. Um, but he is, without a doubt, one of the best perimeter defenders and on-ball defenders in the league, I think. And he's just such a great scheme defender, too. You know who's great for, for him is Twitter. The, the guys like the Steve Jones guys who cut the clips out of possessions. Yeah. Yeah. And you just see Caruso... Not only shutting down people one-on-one and like when everyone's the, the stand around and one guy's trying to do something plays, he doesn't just shut them down. He like demolishes them and yeah. they, they like lose their soul for 10 seconds. The other thing he's really good at is he's guarding his guy. Someone comes around, he swipes at the guy off the ball, creates a little bit of havoc there, recovers back on the guy he's defending. So, I mean, there's some guys who think good defense and you get that a lot with, you'll see that a lot with players. Some guys think good defense. I'm going to just lock my guy up and he's never going anywhere. I'm never taking my off my guy. And meanwhile, his guy's like not doing anything. And then someone's coming right through your lane. You're not causing any impact there. And so Caruso does a really good job of preventing his guy, helping, you know, influencing guys in the wrong direction, quarterbacking the defense, identifying plays that are being run by the other team. All that stuff is super underrated, and he's very good at it. And so is Lonzo Ball, too. Lonzo Ball is kind of being slept on a little bit as well. That was the guy I wanted for the Celtics. 
And I didn't realize the Bulls had already made a deal with him like a year before the uh, the free agent. No, that's not true. There was he was he was he was quietly being chopped around uh, before pre agency. I heard from a couple teams that I was talking to. Hey, what do you think? You know, just like casually talking to, like, hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? And some of the deals that (laughs) that were supposedly uh, on the table for him that New Orleans was 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 trying to do because they were panicking. And they want to make sure they can save Zion, you know, build yeah. around Zion Williamson. Uh, I was like, yeah, it just seemed like whoever was well positioned to capitalize on that panic was going to get away, come away with like a really good deal. And yeah, they let him walk. I thought it was going to be Marcus Smart and I was fine with it because I love Lonzo and I think he's younger. And, and I actually think he would have been better with the Jasons than Smart is, but he goes yeah. to Chicago. It's interesting. Like, I mean, there's some t- like Lonzo was re- completely reworked his three point shot the last few years. Um, everyone shot better from three last year because there was no fans in the arena. Um, but he's shot better this year as well. His shot looks different. He, he That's interesting. You think it was the no fans thing. That's it. I, I mean, I don't think I know. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny because I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine earlier today and I mean, yeah, you could say, okay, it's a little bit of the ball. It's a little bit of the increased, uh, defensive contact being allowed, but it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's just pretty clear when you look at the outlier that was last year, if you compare the previous two years, to last year, the, the, the actual three point efficiency went up last year was the outlier. This year isn't so much like the poor shooting this year, isn't as much of an outlier as the great shooting last year was. Mm. And I think what's different is, I mean, there's no, I mean, it's just easier. There's no fans. There's no distraction. It's, it's um, yeah. We had a little bit of the bubble the previous year too. I mean, I do think it. I do think it makes a difference. Yeah, Lonzo would have been on my team if I was running a team. It would have been done. I would have taken it down. I would text you sometimes with guys. I'd be like, this guy would already have been on my team. Hey, but you've got that sweet, <laughs> sweet Spotify money. Why don't yeah, you have maybe, it? Maybe, it's time. <laughs> maybe uh, it's time. Marketing is one of my misses. I think the more I watch marketing, I might have missed on that one. I, I'm not sure yeah. what position he is, and he's not a good enough shooter. Yet, yeah. to justify all the all the kind of baggage he brings to a five man unit, but I I still like him on paper. I just he just can't seem like he can get there. I think the thing that yeah yeah I, I would I think the thing that people miss and the stuff is like this stuff is hard. Like evaluating young players, especially it's it's hard. Like you get yeah, Markkanen was. You look at that draft. He was like kind of in there in the mix. I mean, look at the look at the, the play the teams who who missed out on Donovan Mitchell. And took Malik Monk, Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, I don't know if Markman went ahead of Dennis. Uh, when he was right around yeah. the same. Yeah, it's like the, the draft was difficult. But By yeah, the way, Markkinen, sometimes, sometimes the draft isn't hard because remember people weren't sure about Luca, and it's well, like that was ridiculous. Luca's eighteen. He's destroying the second best professional basketball league we have. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, I think the other thing is people somehow think that playing against these Europe in in, in Europe is easier and it is obviously the talent isn't not as good but the game is structured in such a way with no illegal defense it's a lot easier to score in the nba in the paint to get to the rim than it is there there you just have a guy walled off walling yeah. off the paint very difficult so yeah he yeah that's true that mobley not- going mobley going third was idiotic as it was happening and seems dumber now because one of houston things is like well we don't need a power forward we have christian wood we need a guard. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Moby's, Moby's going to be awesome. I'm not, I'm not too busy. I'm not, or excuse me, I'm not too eager to, 
I mean, he is amazing and he is good. I think it's a little bit early to to say that yet. I mean, those not guys for me, both. not in this house, not too early. <laughs> right. I'm already there. And I'll tell you this today. too. I'll you're tell you this. Mobley over Cade, I think, is the thing too. And and I look. A lot of people love Cade. I saw Mike Schmitz, who I really respect, and I think does a great job for ESPN, was saying he's got like a little Luca type of feel offensively. Cade. Uh, Cade. I to me, he looks like. I, I don't totally see it. And I keep waiting and I'm watching and I've watched multiple Pistons games and he seems like a half step too slow to me at this point to be like, to be like a generational guard, which I think is where you have to be if you're taking him over Mobley. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I think the Luca comps are ridiculous. Yeah. All across no the more Luca comps. You're, 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 ta- you're talking about a guy who comes around once every 20 years, 25 years, I agree. Uh, 15 years, whatever. And so anyone who plays like a similar style is kind of, oh, this is a, we can have this guy as a heliocentric style, ball handling, pick and roll, spread offense player. Yeah, there's more to it than that. I have one last thing on the Bulls and it ties into, uh, but I, I really want to save some time for us to talk about how much we enjoy watching the Lakers. If you're the Love Bulls, it. so Milwaukee is going to be there. Milwaukee's just had dumb injuries, but I actually think their team, once everybody's there, is better than last year's team, talent-wise. And I think Giannis... What parts has, are better? I'm curious. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just curious. I like the Grayson better. Allen piece. They yeah. didn't have DiVincenzo in the playoffs last year. Um, yeah. and I think Giannis just as a facilitator is just a little bit better. I do think he picked up some stuff the last two rounds. Yeah, I think yeah, there's yeah. a confidence with him that's just different. So I expect them to go on a run as soon as they get everybody. Brooklyn, I don't know what to make of because Blake is so washed at this point. And then Millsap, they, they're getting nothing from Aldridge is shooting well for now. We'll see, but it just seems like a two man team to me with some Patty Mills, some Brown, like they're, they're playing Joe Harris. Joe Harris, who for the money they're paying him and for his playoff performance is a little scary. It's gonna it's gonna ebb and flow on how much they get out of Harden. Who knows what they get at Kyrie? Anyway, I'm not I'm not positive. <laughs> Kyrie had a Kyrie song with him, I forgot. Well, I'm t- even talking as like a trade. But if yeah. I'm Chicago and I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, Milwaukee, they're not playing well yet. We know they're gonna be there. Brooklyn, kind of a mess compared to them people thinking they were a juggernaut heading into the season. I'm not really afraid of anybody else. Like, I do wonder, do they put Patrick Williams on the table because he's out for the year? Are they yeah. one piece away from actually like competing to Bulls. make the finals? Yeah. There, there, there are a few. I mean, there as much as I love them, they it's still a flawed roster. I mean, uh, what do you think they, they need? Have, they, they, they definitely need a big. Like, they. I mean, I know Vucevic is their guy, but. I just, I'm not buying, like the the NBA is a matchup league. And so like, what would they do if they played the 76ers in a playoff series aside from getting smoked? I mean, they just would have no chance versus a healthy Embiid probably have no chance defending. I mean, there's just, there's two things. It's the big, it's also the rim protection. That's not necessarily always there. Um, So yeah, they probably need another big. I mean, the thing about them is they don't need to be in a rush. Like they've got a nice little squad. They've done a great job. Those guys have only been there who are running the team. I've only been there for two years now. This is their second year. So, but what do they need? Yeah, they probably need a four hybrid, four five, someone maybe who can protect the rim. Um, those guys are, they used to be kind of like everywhere and now they're kind of in short supply. Yeah, my thought so, was, I, I saw it the same way. I thought 
a small bot five slash Vooch protection for the wrong matchups. Yeah. It seemed like the guy. Yeah, I mean, Vucevic, I think Vucevic has always been thought of as a poor defender, but he's actually a decent scheme defender. He's in the right spot more often than not. He rebounds the ball particularly well, um, but they probably need one other person. I don't know. The, these teams that go super, super small are interesting to me because now the most of the league is just kind of punting on offensive rebounds with the exception of the Toronto Raptors. And yeah, so, that, look, Doc Rivers was ahead of his time. <laughs> and throwing so, away uh, offensive rebounds. And so uh, you can get away with getting small in that regard because teams aren't punishing you on the glass. They also have guards that are very good at rebounding. Both Caruso and Ball are good at rebounding. Um, but there's the rim protection aspect. If you play a team that spreads you out and can penetrate and get to the rim, I feel like that could be a challenge. But we'll see. I don't know. They're, I'm not in the business of what teams do anymore because, to get better because I, I, I clearly had no interest doing it the first time around. So it's, it's, a, little, <laughs> it's, a, little bit, it's a little bit tricky. Yeah, I was wondering. Miles Turner was a guy I was thinking about for them because I don't I know what Indiana is going to do. A Turner Sabonis year four or year five, whatever it is at this point, seems like something's got to give. I think he has real value and I think there's a few teams that he could really help. Yeah, the Pacers are a team that I watch very closely. Um, just yeah, your guys there, Carlisle. You got you always yeah. got along with him. I like Carlisle. Yeah, Carlisle's a good dude. I like, um, and there's a couple other guys on the staff too, uh, Jenny Busick and Mike Weiner, and then one of the guys from my department got a job working for the Pacers. So I watch their stuff. Um, it's a pretty flawed roster. Yeah, not a lot of terrible contracts because everyone's kind of on like a middling contract. Not any terrible contracts really, but also not any real hope for. I mean, they're they're kind of in on the hamster wheel of mediocrity of like always being like a first round exit. Now you look at how strong the East is. You could make the argument that they may not even make the playoffs this year. It'll be a challenge. Right. The East is so much better with the Wizards, the Hornets, the Bulls, all having come ups. Even the Cavs to some extent. Um, where where is that where is that spot going to come from them to make the playoffs? It's challenging. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I have. I wrote down for panic trade teams because we're hitting Thanksgiving, which is usually when guys become really available. And I think Boston would have been on this list, but I think they've kind of played off the list because of how well they're playing defense the last couple of weeks. Plus Tatum, I'm not jinxing the Tatum thing, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm pleased with Tatum the last two weeks. So you're, I think you're that, back on. You're off, you're off the Celtics for a while and now you're back on. <laughs> you're I, like, ah, I'm, I'm not crazy about this team. What are they doing? <laughs> you're like, uh, I like how they're playing D and they really seem yeah. like they're on the same page. I'm not, I'm not getting sucked in yet, but I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Well, one thing I will say about this team is I was just looking at some numbers today. They are, they are an outlier in terms of how many, what percentage of their possessions on defense are cross matched because they're switching so much. Yeah. So they're at 60%. Most other teams are at around 50 in the league averages around 40 something. So when you go from that extreme of a switching style of defense, there's a learning curve there. And so I think it, it's, it takes some time. Now, does that mean that it's the right style of defense? I don't know. Probably, maybe we'll see, but it was unfair to judge them based on that. I think there's some other stuff though, that it's, it's hard to go from being an assistant coach to a to a head coach and then to, to succeed right away. I think that can be a challenge, but I don't know the players seem to be playing. Okay. It's kind of a, I mean, I think the Schroeder pickup was probably one of the best value pickups of the summer. Oh just yeah. Because, just because of, um, I mean, if you look at what he could have gotten and what he ended up getting, 
there's value there. So yeah, I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not totally out on them. They've got some obviously some talented players, and Brown has even been playing lately. So, um, but yeah, we've uh, already yeah, said we'll too much. I feel, I'm I'm going to obey the jinxing rules here. Um, okay. <laughs> panic trade teams. I have four, and then we mentioned right. Indy. Okay. I think New Orleans has to be in there. Sacramento <laughs> is always in there. Sacramento is just a yearly Thanksgiving entry, and then I think Houston. Because it's a weird roster. I it seems like they just want to tank. Our poor Silas goes in there, Harden immediately sabotages and blows up the situation. That's year one. Year two, they literally don't have a point guard. This is a league where everybody's got three, four point guards who could potentially play twenty five minutes a game. Houston has basically none. And you could make the argument they still don't have one this year. I mean, they've got a rookie point guard. They've got DJ Augustine. Yeah, um, they have zero. And meanwhile, they're yeah. paying John Wall $44 million not to play, which Chris Mannix wrote a good piece about this today. It's like, at what point is this stupid? You're just going to pay John Wall not to play for two years because you're tanking. Where's the league on this? And then John Wall's yeah, only 31. He's not washed up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm not there, so I don't know. I don't understand what the impetus is. Like, here's the thing that people don't realize is like, you don't have to tank all the way to the bottom. Like the way the rules are, um, right. you're, you're, you're going to be a top four pick as long as like the, 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 the lottery odds are pretty like it's 14. You just want to get in the, the bottom, bottom four teams. Yeah. They're yeah. going to be there. They're getting there. Yeah, they're certainly going to be there. They've lost 15 in a row. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it has to be, it has to be painful to, um, to be a part of that, I think as a head coach and to be a part of the staff and that that's gotta be tough. And so I definitely, and I've worked with, with Steven in, in Dallas and I thought to be like, not just a, not just like a good guy, but like an outstanding human being. Yeah. Um, people love him, works hard, great family guy, really, really sharp basketball mind as well. So yeah, definitely some empathy there for what they're going through, but who knows, maybe they'll turn it around. Maybe they'll get a, they're not turning around something this year. Well, well, I mean, okay. they'd have to turn around in the draft. It's funny. He well, goes they're certainly to, not turning around this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the going you know, three, three years down the road. It's he, a long process. <laughs> he goes into the worst situation possible if you're a, a new coach. And on the flip side, you see Unseld goes to Washington and they have all these veteran guys who kind of know what they're doing. And that's a really good situation for him. Yeah. And like, if you just flip those guys, I don't know what happens. I do like, I think Unseld's done some good stuff. But if you just put him in Houston, nobody is saving Houston the last two years. Once Harden is like, no, that's, that's get me out of here, you're done. That's it. That's true. That's true. I will say that what Wes Unsell Jr. has been a very good defensive coach. I mean, here's the thing oh, people yeah. don't get when, when they're evaluating head coaches. Like, there's a guy running the defense more often than not. Yep. And and that guy is the guy who's responsible for the defense. And so um, I think Denver had a very good defense with him. We had a defensive coordinator in Dallas who was running our defense, who's responsible for the defense. He's no longer with Dallas. The defense looks a lot different. And so it's a little bit tricky to parse out credit or blame on coaching staffs when you're not aware of how much influence a specific coach has. But Unseld is like, I think he's in his mid, mid-40s. mid And yeah. and he's been, I think, a revelation as a coach this year. Because when I watch, and I watch it the same way you do, and we, we text each other sometimes when teams look sloppy or whatever. Sure. Washington does not look sloppy to me. That looks like a team that knows what it wants to do game to game. And I feel like he's maximized whatever their potential is. Yeah. I think one of the things when I was younger that I, that I was like overreacting to was like one mistake from a coach and like, Oh my mm. God, this guy, but, but I haven't seen anything 
they their end game end of game usually i would look at end of game execution what they're doing how they're managing timeouts are they going for threes when they're down four are they you know taking a foul to give at the right time that sort of stuff um and so uh yeah he's been good he's been very solid from what i've seen they've had a, they've played some close games they've made the right moves they're they're identifying the right players to attack on defense on the other side of the court yeah they're playing the right they're playing their right i mean that's another are, are you playing your right players with the right combos they seem to be they seem to be running hot but they seem to be playing quite well too i mean they've only got like a plus two point differential which isn't great uh give you an idea the celtics have a three point positive point differential so um but yeah they're a good they're a solid team i wonder with houston you know, they do have some assets to make some moves, but with Wall, everyone's like, Wall's untradeable. There's a fifth yeah. panic trade team that I think I have to mention. But can we go back it, to Houston for a second though? Can yeah, we go back go. to Houston for a second though? They had an asset that they had to move so they couldn't get top value for Harden. But can you make the argument that that's what really, that 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 lack of, of capitalizing on any, I mean, did they get anything worthwhile in that deal? Like, is that, is that just draft picks and the draft picks aren't even that particularly good or would they have been better off? Like that, cause before everyone was saying, oh, they should have done, they should have done the Simmons deal. But now, like now everyone hates Simmons. So it's interesting. Like it's, it's, it's funny how people are so fickle before all of But they could have gotten oh, Maxi. Maxi could have been in that trade too. And Maxi's been fantastic this season. So I, yeah, I mean, no. I assume he would have been in there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do think that they got very, very low value for Harden. Me but I too. Think they were also they were also in a very, very difficult situation. So it's tough to the, it's tough to really. The part I didn't like is like why just why wouldn't you want Jared Allen in that trade? Like why are you why would you rather have like low first round picks over? And it's like, well, we would have to pay Jared Allen. Well, great. I like Jared Allen. He's he could be yeah. in a playoff series, you know. And they, I don't like trading a superstar. And then you look back and you go, all right, what did I get for my superstar? And the answer is, I have not one asset I can point to. <laughs> I yeah, have no, well, that's, it's like, that's oh, well, we got Karis LeVert and we turned him into Depot for three months and then basically nothing. It's like, that's not a good trade. Sorry. Yeah, it's definitely, you definitely, A, don't want to have to trade a superstar and B, when you do, you want to be in the driver's seat and you want to be in control of that. You don't want the, the Which is why I would have wanted Simmons back. Um, fifth panic yeah. trade team, which I think always has to be mentioned is Minnesota, because I do think they have a chance to make the playing game. So here's my question for you. And then we'll take a break. I'm gonna let you think about this. All right. Why would it Minnesota be our John Wall team? They could throw, it could be Beasley, Beverly and Prince, just those three contracts, two of them expire this year. And you take, you get John Wall back, you get him this year and next year. And you take a fire and it's like, we're making a three for one where we're getting by far the best person in the trade. And he's an expiring contract a year from now. That would be great. Um, why couldn't that be the John Wall team? I don't know. I'm going to let you think about that. We're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. 
This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right. So, before we get to the Lakers, because we have a lot to talk about the Lakers. Why why not Minnesota for John Wall? I think that's the John what, what Wall team. The, why not? It was, what was it, Beasley? What did you say, Beasley? So it's two years of Beasley, expiring Pat Beverly, expiring Prince. And I can get John Wall and just take a well, flyer on how does, how does that help uh, Houston, I guess, would be my question. Houston gets out of like $28 million next year, John Wall's contract. Um, but don't, don't they have, isn't, don't they have, what is it? What is it? Who's expiring? Beverly? Is that what you said? Beverly and Prince. So yeah. you're saving them I mean, 28 million bucks. Yeah. I don't know that wall necessarily moves the needle in, in Minnesota. I mean, I'm, I would think if you're going to make a deal, you, I mean, he didn't play particularly well. His last two years, he's averaged almost three to four turnovers. He's averaged, yeah, he averages like four turnovers a game as in first career. Uh, not so you're saying he's break. untradeable. I'm not saying he's untradable. Um, someone will. I mean, there's no such thing as. This I mean, is it. I'm Chris giving you Paul. the only team. This is it. We, we have no other teams unless we're unless it's Lakers Westbrook for Wall yet again. I mean, never underestimate the Lakers' ability to make a trade that people think no one else would make. I mean, they're definitely the team that does that. They make it happen. So hmm. I don't know. I would not. If I was Minnesota, I'd probably hold out for maybe something a little bit better. Okay. I'd try to like. I wouldn't panic in, um, into the John Wall got camp. You know. Okay. Um, Lakers. Yeah. Let's talk about Lakers because. They put together the this roster of, I mean, a couple guys that I think if they waived would probably wouldn't get picked up by anyone else in the league. Like, I don't <laughs> think DeAndre Jordan gets picked up by a single team if they waived him tomorrow. Um, they have no ca- salary <laughs> cap flexibility with Westbrook, who's $44 million a year, and they don't really have any other contracts they could trade other than Horton Tucker, who hasn't exactly been lighting it up. They have no outs, is my point. And... I, I think I was thinking this would end up like the 2018 Cavs where a lot of guys on this team three months from now just aren't going to be in the team. But then you think, all right, well, so then who's going to be on the team? They have no way to even, they don't have the ability to flip so-and-so for Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. They don't have the flexibility to do trades like that. I think it's unfair to judge this team until Kendrick Nunn their star acquisition in the offseason. I'm just kidding. It's become healthy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not to be good. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this is an example of, this is like, if you, I don't know. I don't know how to describe this without, it, it's just, I can't imagine who thought this was a good team to put. I mean, I just can't imagine who thought like, Oh yeah, that we're building something. So, so the previous year they didn't have enough shooting. Yeah. So this year they went and signed a bunch of guys who, who, not a bunch, but a few guys who can shoot but can't really do anything else. Yeah, like Malik Monk is pretty good shooter, decent offensive player, not that great defensively. Say this, you can say the same about Nunn, although he's not that great a shooter. Ellington, good shooter, can't really defend, can't really do anything else. They've got all these guys who can who have like one talent, and then they are expecting you know another one is Carmelo, not a, you know not that great defensively, but pretty good shooter. Um, they did all this stuff, but they real, but then they, they didn't understand that they don't have the deep, like it's, you can do that if you have a good defensive core around the team, like they do not have a good, like their best defensive player aside from Anthony Davis is who 
I mean, maybe Avery Bad Bradley, maybe also, Dwight Howard. You just won the title less than two years ago with all of these defensive wings and defense yeah. and LeBron and Davis, and that was enough. And for some reason, it was like they all got amnesia for, you know, to to. I never understood the Westbrook trade. We killed it on this pod multiple times. I didn't mind the idea of flipping Carroll and uh, I think it was Kuzma for yeah. Buddy Heald because at least it was like, all right, that makes a little more sense. At least you still keep KCP and you get a little defense. But going all in on Westbrook, I thought was just, just completely nonsensical. And it's worked out even worse than I thought. And then you watch yesterday and it's like, Westbrook headed for another triple-double. It's like, who cares? This guy's the worst possible I, fit for this team. Here's what I think, and this is maybe what they were thinking, maybe not, maybe I'm giving them credit in a weird way. But so I think they thought that LeBron needs some, like Westbrook is not good off the ball. Yeah, he's got to have the ball. You're not going to have him spaced off the ball. Maybe they thought he could hang off the ball, players play off and you give it to him really quickly. He can make a cut, make a quick pass. That's certainly true. He's a big, like regular season floor raiser. You could, you can make the argument, but he's, end of the day, your goal is to win championships. And you have to, you can't be like, oh, well, because LeBron may not be durable for the whole year, we need to find guys like, at the end of the day, if LeBron's not durable for the whole year, this team just isn't winning a title, period, end of story. So why not build around the idea of like, well, let's hope he is and let's put together a roster that fits around him versus like, I don't think many people would say that LeBron and Westbrook are like, that's the ideal pairing for like, when you think of ideal pairings for LeBron James, I don't think anyone's ever really been like, oh yeah, how about Russell Westbrook, the guy who, who like pissed off Kevin Durant <laughs> because he wouldn't right. because he wasn't passing to him enough or was taking over games. Like it's interesting. Like, I don't know. Westbrook works very hard. He plays very hard. He wants to win. He's got that fire. That's definitely an underrated positive quality, but it's hard to not say he's destructive to your team's offense. I mean, he's a turnover machine at this point. The spacing isn't there for him. Nobody I would say really last, last three minutes of the game, he might have the worst judgment of any Good player in the league. I don't know if I go that far. Look, I don't. I I think he's. I think he's a fine NBA player. He just might not be the right fit for this team and this particular goal. How about that? <laughs> Can we leave it at that? I mean, I don't know. It's it's. That's fine. I heard you. I'm trying to play. No, yeah, I, heard, I, mean, I heard you. It's fine. Yeah. I still think out of any good player in the league, he has the worst judgment on both ends in the last three minutes. I'm trying of the to game. get in like poker. I'm trying to get in poker games here, Bill. I can't be having any bad mouth on Russell Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we like hate watching this team so much? What is it about it, them? What is it's it? It's everything. It's everything. It's the it's the it's just the lack of humility, top to bottom. Mm. It's like I watch this. A lot of it to me is because when I'm in LA and I'm watching these games, I'm forced to watch the Lakers broadcast. Oh my! God. And it's like, and it's it's like they don't call him LeBron James; they call him King. And yeah. it's like this, <laughs> here's a guy who's like. I love LeBron, but dude's got chosen one tattooed across his back. It's hard to not like when you're not the chosen one, it's hard not to look at the chosen one and be a little bit jealous. And so I'm just kind of like, I, you know, you, you don't want anyone to fail, but it's like, if there's anyone you kind of want to fail, it's the guy who's got chosen one tattooed across his back. You know, that's just me. Uh, it's just kind of fun. I don't know what else to say. And I'm a Le LeBron lover. Like I went to game seven when they played warriors, cheered for the, the Cavaliers, rooted for them. But in L, it's, when you go from Cleveland, you know, blue collar, now you're in LA, you know, you've got, it's just, how can you not, how can you not root against the Lakers? I don't know how, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a just great like point about the announcers because they, he gets that thing with Stewart. Me. He, he yeah. whistles an elbow at Stewart, then follows through this fist. 
And they're just acting like, why is Stewart acting like this? What's wrong with this guy? And then they show the replay. Ooh, and it's like, acting like inadvertent elbow. Yeah, he was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that's a big part of it because I never really had a problem until until the play by play guy. It's just like, oh, and a king was a great play. And it's just like, yeah. he's not a king. He's just like, if you like kings, it's just, to me, it's just, it's just, it's just funny. Maybe I'm just a, a hopeless surf and I'll never understand royalty. But to me, it just seems like funny to, to cheer for this team. But it's fun going to the games. I will say, I go to the Clippers games and I go to the Lakers games and I thoroughly enjoy the Clip, the Lakers games. And I feel like I need to take like some anti-anxiety medication when I go to a Clippers game because the lights, the music, the fucking cannon that shoots out the fucking t-shirts. Yeah. It's just a cacophony of madness when you go to these Clippers Yeah, they try to disorient you. It really (laughs) is disorienting. Like I, yeah, I had been traveling for 45 days. I came home to LA for a little bit. Hadn't been leaving my house for a week. And the first place I went to was a Clipper game. And I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> I can't take this. It's too much. <laughs> I have, um, it's a semi-hot take. It's going to be immediately refuted by people who just look at the numbers. And they're going to be like, what are you saying? His numbers are the same. I think Davis put on too much muscle. I don't like the way he moves compared to how he moved three years ago. And you can go on YouTube and you can look at that iconic New Orleans running ad in the 17, 18 season when he was just, he basically became Tim Duncan. And you're like, oh my God, what? This is like Tim, this is like evolutionary Tim Duncan. What's happening here? Now he's built like a center. And when I watch him move, and I know he's getting, he's getting his 24 and 11. I know he's still in the right spots on defense. I just like him as the more athletic thinner version of himself. And it's interesting because you think about guys like Duncan, Garnett, people like that. Those were guys that like really, really tried to avoid adding muscle to their frames as they got older. They thought like, as I'm getting a little older athletically, I need, I need the, the freedom, the flexibility, the fluidity. He's going the other way. It seems like he's trying to turn himself into a center and I don't love it. Now you're going to, you're going to zag on this. I can no, see in your face. Really, I'm not. I'm not the biomechanical expert that you are, so I cannot. I cannot identify well, they, the ideal body type for Anthony Davis. No, I'm with you. I mean, it, you, you would think a lot from a longevity perspective, you'd want to be as thin as possible. I will say he's an absolute fucking monster on defense, and yes. I don't know that he. I don't know that he was when. I mean, he kind of was, but it was a different type of monster. He's active, asked to protect the paint a lot more. I mean, when we played them, we basically were like whoever AD is guarding get him the fuck out of the paint. Like I watched the, 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 the Bulls that try to do the same thing. Like you need, if you have AD outside the paint on defense, if you can have him guarding a perimeter guy, you're getting layups. If he's not guarding a perimeter guy and he's in the paint, you're not getting layups. Like the rim right. on versus off, depending on where he's guarded is big. So I don't know. I mean, these guys have, I think the one thing that casual fan like myself and you don't realize, I mean, although we're not casual, like, okay, let's the refined fan like myself yeah. and you, uh, don't realize is 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 just how much thought and planning goes into um, keeping these guys healthy and keeping them, you know. Getting yeah, but their I would argue right. I would argue this is more dangerous for him because I think the more weight you carry when you're a big guy, that's where it can go sideways. Sometimes we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah, but we'll see. I I, don't I know. think he's yeah, built I'm... himself like a center. Maybe he just filled out though too. I don't know that. I mean, people get bigger when they. No, there there were stories about how he's like, I added fifteen pounds of muscle, all that stuff. I think he I mean, wanted to be a center. Everyone at everyone in the off season comes back saying they added fifteen pounds of muscle, with the exception of maybe Luka Doncic, who's like the only guy who's never came back and said I added fifteen pounds <laughs> of muscle. I'm in amazing shape. <laughs> um, no one's yeah, ever, yeah, it's something to watch for because I do think when he 
when he moves now, sometimes I've noticed like the stop start stuff. He looks yeah. more like a center to me. Whereas like before I really felt like he was in like how Evan Mobley is right now for the Cavs, where it's just like, oh man, this guy. Or like even he, how Giannis has maintained, even as he's added weight, he still moves like Giannis. Yeah. Have you ever, you remember how like Shaq, when he'd have to get moving, he'd have to like swing his arms to kind of generate right. moment. That's or like, like my, my, yeah, that's like my eye test on if a guy's got too much weight is if he has to like generate forward momentum with his arms before he can start moving forward. And well, I don't see I, that with Davis, but I do set with other players for sure. I do think he wanted to be more physically imposing this year. We'll see if it works. I personally am more of a fan of the 2018 like I said, Lither let's, version. Let's, let's evaluate the team when they got all their key pieces back, like Kendrick Nunn, and we can really make a run, <laughs> make a run for it. They played the they played the Pistons the other night. I watched. And they it. came back and they came back from behind. And someone was I, I think it was someone tweeted I forget who it was. It might have even been Rosola. Was like, oh, I can't wait to read the takes that like LeBron, you know by will of his ejection caused this rally right. for the team. Like I was, but it didn't, but, but they didn't actually say that, but it was, you know, it was like people were celebrating on, on, on Twitter. And it's just like, what a gutty, what a gutty win from this, like try hard. Like gutty win gets this terrible yeah, Detroit team. Can a Cinderella story come back from the Lakers with the King being out trade jump teams and teams that could jump a level. If they made a trade, we mentioned the bulls. Mm-hmm. I think Dallas, I just don't know what the trade is. Memphis. Yeah, Dallas. Dallas is not far off. I mean, they've got they're, you know, they've they're they've got the the West, as we mentioned before, is pretty wide open. So Memphis is Memphis is one for me. Is that do you agree with that one? Could they trade Adams for Valentinus again? Would that work? That might <laughs> <laughs> I mean they could take that one back and they'd be all right. They do have um, a three for one they that they can do. Like they have a lot of assets. The fact that Bain has emerged, yeah. they have the ability to this. go up a level on a trade. I'll say this about Memphis. They have done a great job drafting and uh, building that team in the last, num- in the few, last few years. So I'm, I'm pretty impressed with what they've done. I wasn't a fan of Stephen Adams signing. Me neither. Uh, or trade, whatever. Um, but, you know, these things are not always easy. Uh, they're easier in retrospect. Boston and Washington would be my other two. Could, the, could yeah, either of those teams like sneak up a level with the right trade? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, any team in theory could sneak up a level. Is that going to make take them to... I think like the hierarchy of the league is Milwaukee, Miami, and let me see who I have here. So you'd, my, put, my, you'd put Miami top level because I have them like right on the fringe, knocking on, on the, the door. The East, but, well, I was talking about teams that could, it could get a little bit better. Like in the East, I think there's three teams that are, that, are, that are just better than the rest. And that's Miami, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Those are the three teams. Yep. Philadelphia is another team that a trade like that's a trade that could happen that could maybe catapult the team. I mean they they've got they seem to be playing all right um, in the West. Utah. What's well, Golden State, Phoenix, and then Utah? I would say right, I'm talking about teams three. that could improve themselves. Yeah, the best teams in the West are are Golden State, Phoenix, and than the rest of the West. Golden State there has is. the easiest ability to do something. I just am not convinced that they will, but they have, they can make any type of trade. My yeah. guess is they're cool. just going to add clay back and see how they look after they do that. Seems like a reasonable thing to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, why not see what they have? They've already got, they've already got the, uh, you know, the best defense in the league, um, which is not their seven points. I mean, they've had an easiest schedule, but they're good. But I mean, they're, they're also they killing are, teams. Yeah. Like they're plus 13 yes. right now, which is outrageous. 
like one they lost one game in overtime and the other game by like three or four points or something like that. Yep. They are they are good for sure. Um fun do to you, watch too. Do you think Curry is he the most underrated superstar of this generation, or would you have somebody else? I don't know. I've never really underrated him. Um I think people maybe un, I think people don't appreciate how great he is. Yeah. Which is maybe the same thing as underrating. Uh, but he is, yeah, he, he is, I mean, he completely bends the defense more than anyone on the ball, off the ball. Everyone kind of like got upset at, with Kerr for not running like basic pick and roll when, when their team was trash and, and, and even Curry, I think wanted to run a little bit more pick and roll, but I think it's hard and it's hard to, it's hard to be upset with the results. Now that the way that team plays is, I mean, it's very easy to defend a, a heliocentric pick and roll based offense. It's very difficult to defend step off the ball. Like their point guard is essentially Draymond Green. He like leads, he leads their, he's like top five in assists most of the time uh, in the league even. And so, yeah, they are a uniquely difficult team to guard because of Curry and because of the system they play. And it is, they've gotten a little bit sharper analytically, in my opinion. They made some great signings. I love Bielitsa. I love, love Porter. Just fringe guys. Like if you're going to fill out a roster, like if the Lakers would have signed like a Bielitsa or a Porter or whatever guys who can actually, you know, it's that both those guys have like some health concerns, but, um, but yeah, they've, they've done a good job and, and they are going to be very tough to beat, but they're also like all of these teams are any team that gets like any team that gets an injury to their key player. They're, they're a team that, you know, Curry's been around for a while. He's had a pretty heavy load. He's carrying a lot of mileage. Who knows what happens when Clay comes back. Um, yeah, the it's, shocker. it's legitimately wide open. The shocker for me is Kaminga, who I was prepared to just put in the bus category based on all the intel about, oh, he's one of those guys, the talented guy who doesn't know his work hard, not sure what position he is. And then you watch him, they're grooming him into like this Kawhi, Paul George level two-way guy. I don't know if it'll happen, yeah. but I've really liked yeah. what I've seen in the limited sample sizes. He's, he's yeah, had. he's played, I think what I've recognized in these guys who play limited minutes, it's very easy for them to come in and be super hyper-focused in a four, five, six-minute stint versus... Like 35 a, minutes. Like, yeah, like imagine if Andrew Wiggins only played six minutes a game, you'd probably be like, oh my God, this Wiggins needs to play more. He's great. Then you put him out there for 30 minutes a game and it looks like some of the times he's not Wait super a second. The, the Wiggins is a huge renaissance this year for Wiggins. As a, as a Canadian, you should be rooting for this. How dare you slander Wiggins? I'm not slandering Wiggins. I just don't, I just think like, I think the unfair thing about Wiggins, he's the number one overall pick and so the expectations are too high when really... Now they're too low. He, yeah, now maybe they're too I mean, low. now he's like a know. guy who can get 17 a game and guard a bunch of guys on the other end and he just he makes guard, he too defends, much money, you know? Yeah, he defends He defends pretty well, I will say. Um, he just doesn't do a whole lot offensively. I mean, shot, shot selection isn't ideal on offense. Um, so it sounds like you you haven't totally warmed up to this Golden State team yet. You're still a little suspicious. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think they're the best team in, in the West, probably the best team in the league, but it's early and we'll all right, see you're being cautious. Yeah. Okay. Cautiously, op cautiously optimistic. Um, all right. We're taking one more break and then I have a couple very focused questions for you. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather, you want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. 
that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's gonna happen. It's gonna get warm. You're gonna start wearing shorts. You're gonna start wearing bathing suits. You're just, you're not gonna be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. All right, coming back. I know you hated uh, the 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 way <laughs> I love these. I love the way you start these. I was like, I know you hated this guy. Well, because <laughs> no, no, I know you hated. Th- this is a rule thing. Okay. Because Rosillo and I were on this. A lot of people are on. Okay. Most people are on this. We the the initiating contact, getting the cheap fouls, basically, and the league drum that, that out of the game. I love that. I love those rules. You love the I'm old rules. You're pro I, old I rules. Love- because I am, my whole life has been about exploiting angles and yeah. <laughs> inefficiencies. And like we had, we called them jabroni plays. Like we need to get our players to be bigger jabronis. Like you need to, like the heart, why not pump fake, lean into the guy? I didn't love it as a casual fan, but as like a scientist who's like trying to like eke out every edge, like I wanted our guys to practice three point shooting fouls, leaning into, I want all that stuff because it's just free. Well, this leads now, me to my question. What, now that we can't exploit that rule, what is the next rule ex- exploitation? What do you see? Oh, hmm, interesting. Is there anything is the right next- now? Because they do such a good job of always innovating and trying to shut the door to stuff. What? So now what do we have? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I don't think there is one. I mean, those were definitely the ones for sure. I, I Yeah. I think, well, I mean, I think now the, re- the, the exploitation is being as physical as possible. That's why Caruso is having a, ball like a ball out here is being as physical as possible on the perimeter because it's not even so much it's like a culture it's not a culture war on fouls it's a culture war on shooting fouls so like if you're getting to the rim you're still drawing fouls if you but if you're on the perimeter you're not getting those fouls and so i think like ramping up the physicality on the perimeter is like the cheat code you know maybe even like more teams are blitzing now more teams are high are, are hard showing less teams are playing drop coverage with their bigs um that's what i love about basketball is like all these, all these things change and you have to be able to adapt as a coach or as a player because things change so quickly, either it's through the advent of analytics or the advent of film or the advent of players getting better and improving their skills. But yeah, I guess the angle now, the inefficiency now is, is how, how far can you push the physicality level on the perimeter? Um, so that's good for Marcus Smart and guys like that. There's certain yeah. types of players that the league has shifted in their favor a little bit. Yeah, it's good for any. Yeah, no, that's very, very, and it's also it also is good for point guards who can handle the physicality because they'll stand out a little bit. Um, I'm not sure who those guys are. So uh, it's ja, it's John ja Morant. That's why I think he's leading the league in 
points within like six or shots and points inside six feet or something. There's some mm. crazy stat where it's like him and Giannis. You're mm, like, whoa, yeah, yeah. okay. But on the flip he's side, watch. Yeah, on the flip side, watch, the Trey sure. Dame guys have taken a big hit. Their free throws are way down. I think Dame's yeah. looked bad since the summer and I would be really nervous to make a massive recent. trade for him. No, he's, I would not. He's, he's looked much better recently. Um, and I think like as humans, like we like to build these narratives around small samples and yeah, he didn't look great, but I don't, I don't think it's indicative. I mean, you could probably carve out five or six games of, of his career or, or a previous season. Let's say you could take 10, 15 games where he just didn't look good. These just all happened to come one after the other. Yeah. So is there something, is there something actually wrong with but him? I, ha- or I had him in like about? the top nine. I, w- I just wouldn't have him there anymore. He's going to have to play his way back in at this point. Well, that's uh, that's going to be, I'm sure that, yeah. I know it's going to motivate him. And I'm sure he's listening <laughs> right now say, going, yeah. like, oh, oh wow, God, I'm not in the top nine the, anymore? What the I fuck? Out of Bill and Bob's <laughs> what did I do? What am I do to get back in? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's laying awake at night with that tape above his headboard. Uh, but well, I he's just great. wonder. I love this guy. Okay, so he's 32 years old and it's going to take a king's ransom to get him if Portland decides that maybe that's the move. And I, I would be nervous yeah. about it. I'm nervous about the history of Small shoot, small scoring guards as they hit their mid thirties. I'd be nervous about it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. I think like it's interesting thinking about what these teams' goals are. Like to me, the goal is always to maximize your chance to win a championship. Yep. And and so you you go with guys who are superstars. He's undoubtedly a superstar. So I would I would I would you would not trade him. I mean, I don't think Portland. I would trade him just to be courteous if I was Portland, just to like help this guy win somewhere. They're not going to win there. They haven't done anything to build around him. So if he wanted to be traded, I would trade him. But that's easier said than done when it's not your team. If it was my team, I wouldn't want to trade him. But he's you could build around him, but it's it's challenging because you need to, you know, you you need to you need to hide some of the defensive inefficiency there. But yeah, he's 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 probably him and Curry are the two toughest players to game plan, except maybe Giannis in there too, obviously. But in terms of guys who aren't physically imposing players they're the most difficult because you have to have you can't sleep for a second off the ball you can't sleep for a second as soon as he comes across half court that shot could be going up and that's that can be nerve-wracking when you're trying to defend daryl made the point publicly and privately as well about hey if i trade ben simmons i'm not trading i'm not making a trade for him that's going to decrease my chances to win the title this year because I have one of the best players in the league in Embiid. So don't throw these trades at me unless my percentages are going up. You're a percentage guy. You've, you look at big picture stuff sometimes that way. The way he framed that, do you agree with that? The way that thinking? He's in a tough... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree with him. He, I just don't know what their moves are. Like, if you don't have to pay the guy, why would you be wanting to trade him? Like, I guess that's the main, like before Ramona Shelburne wrote that piece on the mental health <laughs> aspect, they were, they were, they were not having to pay him. And then now I guess they're having to pay him and then maybe not having sometimes I'm not sure exactly what the actual status is right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know what his market is. I don't know. It seems like they're not going to get a great deal for him. It, it, I will say this, the way the league is structured right now, something has to change. You cannot, I'm all for giving players empowerment. You cannot have players sign max contract with their rookie scale teams, the teams that they were drafted and, and, and get these large contracts. And then a year after demand a trade, yep. that's just not, 
that's just not good for the league itself. The league is already being run by this like cabal of like whatever agents, players, etc. Everyone wants to go to a certain few teams, a certain select few teams. It's just not equitable. And and I think like I, I don't know what the solution is, but I think I, I I have some solutions. I think that could work. Um, but certainly not. You know, being let me look at Harden wants out. Okay, we got to deal them. Simmons wants out. Okay, we got to deal them. Well, it's just tough. Like, what do you? How do you? How do you run one of these teams that that has these players who want to get traded? Like, how do you run a small market team? How, I mean, Philadelphia isn't a small market, but I think there's that. That's very tough on them. But I think they also need to hold some accountability for not doing a better job, kind of holding him to a higher standard. I mean, you can't have a player who refuses to shoot three pointers in the game. That's not great. Uh, and then, but then you can't as a team, you can't throw them under the bus right after you lose. Like, you know how hard it is to, you just lost the game and now you're on, you're, you, you hear from your coach and your teammate throwing you under the bus after a game. That can't be good either. Like, they should hold some accountability. Like, Doc Rivers should not have said what he said, in my opinion, uh, right after that. I think that, that probably started. I mean, you could say it privately, you could whatever, but I, I don't know. It's very tough. Um, I think the league has to make some changes to the way they structure contracts. And I don't think it'll ever happen, but I have an idea for it. Would oh, like I, it? I have another idea. Your idea, you go first. Let's hear it. Okay. My idea is no max contract, hard salary cap. You can sign players to however much money you want. They have a hard cap of 100 and whatever it is, 50 million, let's say 160 million. And now you can, now will players join up and want to be part of these super teams if they can go get 80 million someplace else? Like, how much would a player? like Luca or Durant or whomever get if they could, I mean, now you really will see like what, what, what the situation is. First of all, it's, it's so easy to build one. Like how much should we play this player? Oh, is he a max player? Yes. Oh, we signed to the max. Is he a mid-level? Oh, we signed to the mid-level. Like there's, it's so, it's so basic to run one of these teams and decide how much to pay a player. I think this would be like, it would reward the smarter teams. It would be able to keep the smaller market teams afloat somewhat. Bad news is the union would never go for it because this, the contracts would be skewed to the point where, um, you know, your second tier, third tier players maybe not would not be getting paid as much money, and like the LeBrons of the world would be getting like a hundred million or a hundred, you know, well, you, 60, 70, 80 percent of the cap. Yeah, you're talking Hollywood star system basically. It's like if it's a Will Correct. Smith movie and he's driving the value of the movie, Will Smith should make by far the most money in the movie. By, by the way, if you're the king you should get paid the king's ransom. And that's just the way it should be. <laughs> you, should right. have, you should get paid that much money. Like why is Russell Westbrook making more than LeBron James? That's just the way the team is. It's because of the way the contracts are structured. So it's I, bananas. here's my tweet. Cause I've been thinking about this a lot because I think this is part of the problem with dealing Simmons. I think it's part of the problem the Lakers have with Westbrook, which is like $44 million. How do you trade that? John Wall, whoever it is. Um, you see with Kevin Love with the Cavs, Kevin Love, nice guy to have in your nine-man rotation. I'm not paying him $32 million a year. And then if you're Cleveland, who am I getting back that has to make within 25% of that? It seems like such an easy solution would be to really, really change the trade rules. And like, why couldn't Russell Westbrook get traded for a guy who makes $7 million? Well, it's got to fit under the cap. Like, does it? Like, if, if why, I don't know who would want Russell Westbrook. Westbrook's a bad example. Let's say Kevin Love. Let's say Philly decides, yeah, we'd love to have Kevin Love. We, it just sucks that we'd have to give back $25 million worth of salary, but we feel like we have a chance to win the title 
actually Phoenix is a better example of this. Phoenix goes, <laughs> let's say Robert Sarver wasn't cheap. Oh, we could get Kevin Love and we'll just give up a $4 million guy and we'll just take the huge salary bump of the $28 million difference. But we're trying to win a title. We don't care. You can't then do what's that. the point of having a salary cap? Then you would just have the richest teams be able to get the best players so, without any penalty. So you put in provisions where it's like you have a card you could use like every four years. You can just you could just jump. There, there's some sort That's of luxury. Baseball has it sounds this. like a game. It sounds like more of a game of Uno than it does. Uh, <laughs> no, but baseball has franchise. this. Baseball has this luxury tax thing where you can go over it a couple of years, but if you do it for a third year in a row, there's just a massive penalty, right? And I this mean, is the NBA has why the, the Red thing. Sox traded can, Mookie Betts. The, but does, I'm not familiar with the MLB salary cap. But is there a they, max salary per player? It's not a salary. It's as much as a no. There is no max salary, and it's more of a luxury oh. tax thing than so. There's some hybrid of this where. Teams should be able, if they have a chance to win the title, to take more chances than they can. A team like Philly should be able to trade Ben Simmons if they want for a guy who makes $6 million a year. And that's just a trade. If the team that's getting Ben Simmons, this is the one year and four that they're adding some massive salary. There's some way to do this. People love comparing the NFL and and MLB to to, to basketball. I think the difference with basketball is is the one player is worth so much more to the team. And so you have to be cognizant of that. Like, um, it's not like the NBA has had parity anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But like, I don't know, the whole thing is kind of ridiculous. Like, oh, you're the worst. You, you happen to win the lottery when your LeBron is a, is, a, is a rookie. Great. Now you're going to be good. That to right. me is just kind of, I'm like a fan Look at of, Cleveland. Cleveland gets Mobley, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron in three yeah, different lotteries. My thing is this. I think there should be no draft. I think there should be a hard cap. And I think, there should be no uh, no max salaries per players. Then you don't have the tanking. Then you don't have all this other nonsense for the draft. Any 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 incoming rookie at the age of eighteen or whatever, however you want to do it, is a free agent. Um, this idea that you're going to race to the bottom with tanking is just awful for the game. Yep. Um, but it also makes it kind of exciting for the fans who are like rooting for their team to lose, and then they got the lottery and the whole thing. I don't know. The whole thing is. It's interesting to think about. I, I think it's absurd that the best, best, best players in the league are getting paid roughly the same amount as other players just because of the sheer force of the way the system is designed. And I don't know that it's any fairer for the, for the bottom tier to mid-tier players. I think it's more fair for like the guys like the guys you mentioned, like Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. They're able to get maxed out because the team really has no choice. What do we do? Well, we got to might as well max them out. We, got, we can't right. really sign anyone else anyways. Well, um, I remember I had an idea way back when that I still think would be a, d- a decent like kind of band-aid fix where the longer somebody stays with the team, the less his salary cap number is. And this was actually an idea I had for football initially, but like Dame Lillard, he's been on the Portland team since I think the 2012 draft, right? So this would be year 11. So once you're with the same team past like eight years, maybe your actual salary only counts 80% of the, of the cap. And if you're yeah, there with them can... 12 years, maybe it's 50%. And now the guy's incentivized to stay because it's actually a competitive advantage for his team the longer he stays. You know, like Luke yeah, is a good love... example of this. I would love to make the rules as complex as possible just because I would love to see some of these GMs try to struggle with this stuff. I think it would be amazing. <laughs> like, I can't imagine some of the people I work with trying to do the math on that stuff. That would be fun. But uh, you see the principle of that, right? Like you're rewarding, if Lucas stays with the Mavs 15 years from year 10 to year 15 or year eight to year 15, maybe that should be like a little bit of a competitive advantage. 
that yeah. it helps you Why with not? your cap. Maybe you get an extra free player. I don't know. Uh, all right, next question for you. So you, there please, was a piece. Please let it be about. Please let it be about crypto points. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that that was my last question. Um, oh, geez, I'm re- gotta send me the sheet ahead of time. Sorry, go ahead. You can edit that up. I apologize. No, keep go it. Ahead, in. Reread. All right. So you got written about about your tenure with the Mavs, and there was stuff, and it was. I've been in this situation too, where people are writing about you, and they're writing either they're taking the accounts from somebody who obviously has an axe to grind or their version of a story or whatever. And then people put the piece together and you're reading it and you're going, well, wait a second, that's not what happened or that wasn't true. Or what was that experience like for you? Cause that had obviously never happened to you before. It was infuriating for like a hot minute. And by a hot minute, I mean like an afternoon. And then I just kind of realized it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, I got messages from people that I worked with that were like, Hey, I have no idea what's going on. Like, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but like people I actually cared about. Here's the thing. There's this idea. Um, well, first off, I'd want to say it was an article that was written. Um, nobody went on the record, which is fine. It wasn't just so much an ax to grind, but there was people who were incentivized to keep positions that were being, that were getting, you know, people were getting paid a lot of money. In most cases, these people would not get a job anywhere else. And so I, I underestimated what lengths people would do to hold on to, in some cases, millions of dollars, which is, you know, probably naive, but whatever. Yeah. Um, what was it like? It was, it was a good test of my, I don't know, my, what actually matters in life. Like it didn't matter. At the end of the day, I was in March, I walked, I left the team. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go work remote. This isn't from, you know, like this is just pulled like, Oh, a player got upset because I left with three minutes left or a minute and a half left in a game. Oh, I do that 80% of the time. Like it was just so, it just got to be so absurd. What I learned is that there's a lot of people who get to the top or get to a level in, in the world. And some of them do it based on merit and some of them do it based on another type of merit, which is just like clawing, kicking, scratching, doing whatever Politics. they can to get ahead. Politics, backroom dealing, Machiavellian sleazy stuff. I've never been about that stuff. There are some people that do. I underestimated them. Um, I don't know, like this idea that I'm difficult to work with. I kind of like, I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I could see that. I actually don't believe it to be true. Like I think that if you are a certain type of person, you might find me difficult to work with because I expect a lot out of people. I expect integrity. I expect you to work hard. I expect you to be good at what you do. And if you don't check some of those boxes, you're, you're going to be suspicious. Some, well, you're just going to find me difficult to work with because I like to hold people accountable to what they say. Like if you say something and it doesn't bear out, the numbers don't bear it out or the data doesn't bear it out or facts don't bear it out, I will probably be the guy to be like, hey, actually, that's not 100% accurate. Um, but whatever, it was a, it was a cool experience. I think if I were to do it all over again, I would want to be more, I'm a control guy in the sense that I've always been my own boss. I've always had people working for me. People who have worked for me have always had very, very good relationships with them. Um, I work well with others in the sense that I want to hire people who are smarter than me and can, and can help me grow. And I just didn't really feel like there's a lot of people who are incentivized to help me grow or help me learn things or help me. Well, and you, know, and you left out the key part with me. They're What's that? threatened because they yeah. think you have a direct line in Cuban and they resent it. And it's funny reading this stuff that happened to you. It was a completely different situation, but it reminded me of yeah. some of the ESPN stuff I had because ESPN was controlled 
basically by these mediocre people who were in mid-level management who were super political and mm. wanted to control everything. And you see the shows always change, the talent always changes, and the same people are still always there. And it's like, all right, what's sure. what's the one thing that's not changing here is all the people behind the scenes who it's ever, always everyone else's fault when something doesn't work out. And those people are incentivized to just grab as much power as they can to leak stuff to whoever. And I don't know, it reminded me a little of the ESPN thing. Yeah, and all the other thing that's kind of interesting is like just the idea that an article is written and then the guy who writes the article goes on this like media tour for like a week and a half <laughs> right. doing like 30 podcasts. And it's just like, bro, relax. Like you're not yeah. fucking reporting on Watergate here. You're talking about like, something that you didn't even really have any any knowledge of you got some some you know you're a team insider you know he reaches out for comment and he's like he's you know, the whole thing was just ridiculous but it kind of is endemic of the state of journalism right now if you want to call it journalism it's media it's clickbait like they put Luka Doncic's name in the header of the article yeah and it's like that would they, draw more clicks the Mavs like might lose Luka Doncic if they keep yeah, no, Haralabob it's like all right cool yeah, yeah that's that's going to happen yeah. The whole thing was, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was definitely uh, surprised. I knew an article was coming. I was definitely surprised at how, I mean, how specifically. I mean, here's the thing I find funny is like these guys who are like going crazy, like, oh my god, we should have drafted Sadiq Bay. Why didn't we draft Sadiq Bay? Okay, well, check back in a couple of years. I'm not saying that the guy we picked is better. I'm just saying like it's easy to say we should have done something after the season's over and a guy makes an all rookie team. Uh, the other part of it is, is like, where's the realism on who you guys drafted last year or the year before? Like, you guys have, do not have a good draft record, and now you're Monday morning quarterbacking this one pick. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I look, I I think it's very difficult to be a journalist. I have a lot of, it wouldn't be something I would want to do for a living, but the guys who do it and do a good job of it have my, uh, have my sympathy. The guys who just try to. I mean, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's easy to stand out amongst 150 people who are writing for the fucking athletic. And so I get that doing something like this is good for someone's career. But it was yeah, the whole thing was kind of ridiculous as far as I was concerned. But whatever. I mean, people love that sort of thing. They love the stories, they love the fame, they love the Well, the, he clearly podcast. In defense of the writer, like he clearly had people that were going to him with stuff and it would it would have been irresponsible for him not to write it. Like he had a lot sure. of there's a lot of meat on the bone. I think in for retrospect sure. I don't really know what your play would have been because the the piece seemed to be sorely missing your perspective, but at the same time, you shouldn't have talked to it. So I don't, I, at that point, I don't even know what yeah, to Yeah, I didn't really to care, do. to be honest. I didn't really give, like the main thing was like, okay, if this player in fact does not like you, then your days are numbered anyways. I didn't really care enough. I never had a relationship with him, good or bad. I know, I just kind of like, I, I loved him as yeah. a player, loved him as a person, still do, still think he's like a great dude, all that stuff. Um, but I just didn't really care. I mean, the whole thing is like, I'm there to do a job. I'm doing my job. I'm, I didn't realize I was that my part of my job was to like, you know, ingratiate myself with people who were not working in my department, who were kind of already, you know, looking at me with suspicion or, or there's a lot of things working, working against me. And, and, but a lot of things I could have done. Those like ESPN. You never come to yeah. Bristol. Why don't you come to Bristol more? You're not promoting so-and-so. I have five jobs. I don't have time to promote a countdown on SportsCenter. Sorry. Um, yeah, 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 it's yeah. funny. They they just, I, I get it, man, I guess is my point. All right, last question. Why is it, you, you're a big crypto guy. You've been in on it early. 
I'm always suspicious of rich guys telling me, oh, this is how you should spend your money when they seem like they have, they're they a little incentivized. At least. Why isn't this a Ponzi scheme? Explain to me why we should trust crypto. You should trust it. You should trust crypto. I mean, I, I trust, personally, I'm a Bitcoin guy. Uh, and so you should trust it because it is governed by math. There's nothing to be suspicious about. Everything is 100% knowable. It's on a centralized ledger, so it's completely transparent. And I think the thing to look at would be like our governments are around the world, specifically in the US, Canada, uh, some other countries are printing money and spending money at an inordinate rate. The average person is being, um, as having his, his purchasing power devalued because the, the dollars, there's more dollars in supply. And so crypto solves that in, in a way. You, you, you can have something that is, there's only 21 million Bitcoins ever will be produced. It's hardwired into the, into the code. You can have self-sovereignty over your finances. You don't have to have someone else controlling your finances. That to me is the biggest part of it. I don't need permission to send someone money. I can do what I want with it. I can decide to save. And I think that's one thing Americans in general are, are not that good at is the idea of saving and planning because you're, you're just kind of, the, the game is rigged. If you are a young person, you are fucked. You are going to school. You are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And you don't have this incentive to save. And crypto kind of, you know, Bitcoin does that. If you knew something was going to go up in value, you would, you would invest in it. You could, you, you could, you could, it's kind of like the game is kind of rigged for it to go up. It's not a Ponzi scheme, but it's game theory optimal that the more people who want it, the more the price is going to go up because there's a limited supply of it. And the earlier you get in, the better off you're going to be. And so to me, it's just like, it's gold, basically. Like boomers love gold. This is digital gold. It's more trans, tra easily transmissible than gold. It's easily, you can store it without gold. You don't have, without having to have it in a vault somewhere. You don't have to have permission from someone else to tell you that you're allowed to hold this. You can just have it on a wallet or a key or a hardware wallet. So that's my little rant on crypto. I think there's more to it than that, but it is just the ability to save without having permission from the state to do what you want to do with your money. You can do whatever you want with it, have sovereignty over your finances and opt out of this crooked system that is benefiting the very, very most rich people in the world and hurting the poorest people who don't have the ability to save. Sounds like you should have a crypto pod for the ringer. Hey, sign me up. <laughs> Are you in? What would a crypto pod look like? We should talk about it. it. Would, we'll, we'll talk about it off air. What would it look like? It would look like uh, some of the nerdiest but coolest people you could ever imagine <laughs> talking about manners, matters that will blow your mind. That's what it would look like. Imagine life in the metaverse, but on a pod. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about it off air. Last, last question. Gambling boom. Lots of gambling stuff. Gambling legal in a bunch of states now. We're we're able to do gambling stuff on pods, including this one, in Deliberate. ways that we couldn't do before. Gambling, yeah. No, but you were you were in there early. You were in the dirty underground. Maybe we'll talk about that the next time. But now it's like you can overtly do some of this stuff. And you know, my fear always goes to if gambling becomes so much easier to do, then it would also become so much easier to have another Donahue situation, something like that. You were on the Donahue thing, I think the earliest. You 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 yeah. you had flags. I got, I was I I got screwed more than anyone else on the Donaghy thing. I probably lost more money betting against Donaghy games because I didn't realize the games were whatever whatever legal term I can use that's not going to get me sued by the league. There, there were some shenanigans going on, and my model was not picking it up. So, do you think all of the gambling stuff opens the door for another Donaghy situation, or do you think there's no, more bells and whistles so. and and 
check checkpoints and check marks. What is what is the trite saying? Sunlight is the best disinfectant. I think having this stuff out in public is much better than having it operate in the shadows. Mm. So I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is just like the league's dependence on get gaming revenue to survive. I mean, they're lucky crypto's around. Crypto, crypto.com center. That's what I'm saying. Look, FTT Arena in Miami, crypto.com. All these teams are going to have, I mean, crypto, the, the new rich are crypto people. Whether that'll continue through the next dump, who knows? Because there probably will be another dump coming, but we'll find out on the All next right. uh, Ringler pod that we do that's crypto centric. Listen. You and I are going to talk. And I, <laughs> I really want to figure out the trading thing. Maybe the next time we do a pod, and I hope to have you on at least a few times this season. I really want to figure out, is there a better way to do the salary cap and trade rules? And if you get, I know you go on Twitter and check your replies. If people have good ideas, send them send them to Bob. Bob Bob loves a good idea every once in a while. Why are you Why are you inundating? Why don't they, why don't they send them to you? Why are they coming to me? Because I'm not going to look. I don't look at replies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're too big time for that. I'm no, I just I don't. I'm still it's too dark. Streets. I'm a man of the look. I'm you're a man, man of the people. people. You're a man in the streets. You're you're, you're willing am, to get yeah. your hands dirty. <laughs> That's right. Dude. All right, <laughs> exactly Bob. Right. Great to see you. Th- uh, glad to see your face, and uh, glad to have you on a pod again. Look forward to doing more. For with sure. You. Appreciate you having me on. Those great. All right. This podcast was produced by Kyle Creighton. Don't forget about the rewatchables coming on Thursday. Hoosiers, 35th anniversary. Don't forget about Music Box on Music Box on HBO. DMX, don't try to understand. Thursday night, 8 p.m. HBO or HBO Max. Check that out. Don't forget about all of our great offerings from the Ringer Podcast Network. And don't forget about the ringer.com as well. A really good website that has some good writing this week. So there you go. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy time with the family. Enjoy the break. We will see you here on Sunday night.